Welcome, welcome. You're listening to our podcast, Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. My name is Mark. I'm a registered massage therapist, registered kinesiologist here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. We got a real cool guest sitting on the other side of our screen. Zoom, Zoom. We maybe got to figure out a better way than Zoom, by the way. Why is that? I don't know, because I keep... You don't I feel like, like Zoom anymore? Unless they're going to fucking start paying me every time I say I got something <laughs> on the other side of Zoom. I think uh, I think we're gonna have to switch that up a little bit. You know what though? That's just everybody. Like it's it's just it's like not, when you say I'm gonna Google something. It's not a cola. It's Coke. It's, right. It's not. It's not a facial tissue. It's, it's a, a Kleenex. Kleenex. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. We're doing uh, we're doing something virtual like this. It's Zoom. It's Let's Zoom. Zoom. Let's Zoom. Yeah. When somebody says you like you want to Google Meet or like imagine somebody said to you like you want to Skype, I'd be like, what? Come on. It's a, what it's, are you talking it's, about? It's, it's a search <laughs> engine. It's not. We're not Google. It's a Google. Right? <laughs> but but no one fucking. Bings. Uh, nobody bings. No one bings. <laughs> What's a bing? No one bings. What's a bing? Well, hey everyone, it's Amanda, and I'm slowly, slowly recovering this week. We have Julie from San, San Diego. Is that right, Julie? Yeah, Julie yeah. from San Diego <laughs> on the other side of our screen. And, you know, maybe we're Skyping. Nobody knows. Maybe it's Google Meet. I'm just kidding. Y'all know it's Zoom. Pay up, Zoom. And today we're talking about uh, a discussion we've had a couple of times um, about psychedelics. I will let Julie really what? get into her background, but I noticed something interesting before we started today. Yeah. I just finished telling Julie that I like to not know a ton about my guests, hmm. but I'm not going to lie. I search engine you. I Googled you. <laughs> and I, I found out that... That your background is in law as well. We Jesus. had a couple of guys from Field Trip Health come on and talk Mike about and psychedelics. Mike's and Ronan, Ronan was a former lawyer. So I was like, oh, this is interesting. What is it with these lawyers going into psychedelics? He's there's there's got to be something. Lawyer. That's what he called himself, a recovering lawyer. So <laughs> the, Julie, Ill, the illness of law. The illness of law. So Julie... Um, recently was introduced to our podcast i know that we've I, got I, I, at I, least I, one mutual acquaintance i want to ask because i ask everyone who's a lawyer or who has practiced law does it feel like all you did was homework when you were practicing law i feel like that's all you feel like you're doing you research shit and you do book reports you research shit and you make documents and i feel like you're just constantly at school is that what it feels like because that's what it would feel like to me that actually was not my problem with that because i quite liked school um i just felt like a shitty person like at the cellular and soul level so that was more the issue mm. but no i like book reports i would still write you a book report right now if, you want <laughs> <laughs> if anyone needs help with their homework julie's available i'm kidding so julie told me right before we turned on the mics that she's getting into a bunch of other things so i'm gonna stop talking and i'm gonna let her introduce herself give a little bit of information about her background how she got into psychedelics and where this has led her in her career as not a lawyer so julie That's thank you thank you for hanging out with us today thank you so much for having me i'm really excited to have this conversation to dig in because I really believe in the mind-body connection. Um, and I guess that's where I'll start. In college, I thought I wanted to be a doctor before I took this like med prep class where you had to like go see blood and stuff. And I was like, whoa, no, thank you. Not for me. But um, the part that really interested me was more consciousness, philosophy, the black box. Like what what are we and how are we thinking and why are we thinking? And so when that did not become something that I wanted to do, my mother, God bless her, was like, well, you better figure out what you want to do. So in classic me form, I made a pros and cons list of what I'm good at, what I like, what I don't, and decided, okay, lawyer, let's let's pursue this instead. What was the top of the list of what you're good at? And what was the top of the list of what you're horrible at? Um, I think the top of the list of what I was good at was I won state debate as a high schooler. It's like, well, this is basically lawyering, arguing with people. And things that I didn't like, um, 
I just didn't see myself doing something physical. Mm. I feel like I was not built for that. I think I was built to <laughs> more like sit at a desk yeah. and write things. I not uh, no heavy lifting for me, at least not at a physical level, mental level, sure. So we are we are body workers, as you know. I mean, we're massage therapists, kinesiologists. We both started out in fitness, and Mark preaches all the time. You're not Listen, going to tear your ACL exactly. sitting at a desk. I don't blow out a knee <laughs> sitting in this chair. <laughs> Acute MSK not happening here. Not happening. Heart disease, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but my knees will be fabulous. <laughs> so I uh, I decided to be a lawyer. I went to did law school. You know, during law school, I actually seriously dated a Canadian in Toronto um, whose parents lived right off the Leslie Street exit. So hello <laughs> to the six. Um, loved it. Love Canada. Um, and so I was a lawyer for a bit. I clerked. I did corporate law. And I also experienced during law school, during undergrad, before I really even knew what these words meant, really crippling and debilitating anxiety, like mm. crazy rumination and just powerful sensations like panic attacks, but I had no idea, I had no lingo for what that meant because mental health was not something we talked about in my house. It wasn't something we talked about in school and I didn't have exposure to it. So I tried therapy, wasn't for me, um, felt very re-traumatizing and then I started started experimenting with psychedelics on my own, but it's also interesting. Like people think, you know, you're 18, 19 going off and tripping acid in the woods. I, I was a full ass adult. Like I was a bard attorney and I was like, let's see what this is like. Hmm. Um, and I found it very eye opening. But ultimately what happened was during the pandemic, a job didn't happen because of the pandemic. And I was like, okay, cool. So we're not going to do that anymore. Because I thought that I would just change jobs and I would suddenly like what I was doing more. But at the end of the day, I just did it. So I really sat with myself. I started off coaching after my own personal deep dive and personal development. So it was, used to be way more like straight lined executive coaching. Mm. But then a friend of mine introduced me to a microdosing company. I kind of got to see the back inner workings of what it was like. I began researching microdosing because psychedelics are powerful, but you can't or it's not optimal to trip every day. So what is microdosing? How does it work? I built a program to maximize the impact of microdosing based off of my coaching skills. And I'm also like a breathwork facilitator and things like that. Um, so I built out this whole program. That's really where my journey in psychedelics started because people just wanted to know what I was doing. They wanted me to help them microdose. And this was a year ago. And since then, I've now held macrodosing retreats, which is something I'm really interested in. And I'm, I finally have found sources that I can trust for uh, reputable Wachuma or San Pedro and LSD as well. So I'm thinking about exploring and growing in that way. I have no idea the legalities of any of this stuff. That was literally all that was going through my head. I'm like, great, we have an ex-lawyer here. Like, I have, <laughs> teach I me. have no clue because like, we've had other people on and we've had other people on as well that, 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 <laughs> that literally just take people on a plane and we end up in Colombia and we're, yep. we're doing ayahuasca in, in a fucking jungle, right? And I, I want to know, I want to know the whole thing. I want to know like the legalities of this. I, that's where I kind of want to start, to be honest with you. Yeah, I'm also interested in that because, I mean, obviously with your background, that, that would have crossed your mind. And you said you found a company that could properly like show you the ins and outs See, of the, the business. And I, 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 with, I have no idea how I that works. Because I get it with Steel Trip Health because... 
the dude's a fucking doctor. I mean, Field Trip Health, they, 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 they're clinics with medical doctors. So I understand your ability to get your hands on stuff and prescribe well, stuff. And they're because, using ketamine. Because right? you're medical doctors. Well, yeah. either which way. But I don't know how this works any other way if you're not a doctor. So maybe you yeah. can tell me Teach that. Teach us, Julie. Teach us. So Canada is a bit different, and I don't know exactly Canadian laws because, well, it's something that I'm looking into. Uh, some Canadians have reached out to me and want me to come facilitate a macro dosing retreat for them in Canada. Right. And I believe Canada is much more accessible. Um, I know a great company that I also recommend in Canada to people who want to microdose within my community. Um, so things are different and a little bit right. more so open. How, how does it work on your end then? How does it work down there? So on my end, I do not, I do not sell anything. No one gets anything from me. I don't procure, distribute anything. I have a program that helps you learn how to microdose. And I also have companies I can point you in the direction of that I know are reputable, that are making quality products, that are temperature controlled, that are actually, you know, providing psilocybin. But those companies are in areas where it's legal, where it's looser in the United States. It's okay. not 100% open yet, but most of their work is still very underground. So I work with a very like underground, you know, world. But my program, the way I sort of absolve myself is I'm not facilitating or distributing right, at any right, level. Right. I guess it's the same concept before before cannabis was was legal in Canada. Yeah. How you'd have, you know, you'd have a whole bunch of people that would, um, they would, they would have their cannabis shops and they're not, they're not. They they weren't legal at the time, but no one really cared at the end of the day. Like everyone just kind of looked past it. I'm learning more and more through doing this podcast and meeting people. There's a lot of things that like there's just so much gray area. Actually, we were speaking again to our our friend Emily Muse that owns Muse Massage Spa in Toronto, which is a legal body rub parlor. But there's tons there's, of holistic centers. I'm yes. putting in air quotes that are giving because erotic massage services, weird, but not legally. It's a weird catch twenty two. Like for example, in Toronto, prostitution's legal, right? But Soliciting Solic a prostitute is, is illegal, <laughs> so it, it's a weird go. Yeah, okay, prostitution is legal, but I cannot openly say I'm going to pay you for sex acts, right? Or it's legal to be in possession of of cannabis and smoke cannabis, but it's only legal to do it in certain environments or certain geographical locations, right? So at the end of the day, how legal is it? I can't smoke this in a park, for example. I don't know if that's true or not. I just made that up, but it's legal for me to have it and I can smoke it, but you can't smoke it here. You can't smoke it here. You can't smoke it here. You can't smoke it. So it's it's a really kind of weird And it go. comes down to what law enforcement and bylaw exactly. wants to put their attention to exactly. and has time and resources for, you know? Like exactly. people can get away with a lot of shit if it's just something that it's like, is well, this worth our time? I feel like <laughs> just from watching the news and people knowing people that are in quote unquote the black market for for, for cannabis or people that run legal body rub parlors versus someone else that's involved with a, a holistic center that's more of like kind of an illegal rub and tug for anything you ever hear it's like things go in waves where it's like the popo and bylaw are going to come down hard on everybody at yep. this particular time and then they generally leave you alone for a little while and the same idea they might go around busting a whole bunch of of illegal cannabis shops and that happens in a very small time frame and then for the rest of the year whatever the case is you're free to roam and, and no one gives a shit so is that sort of like where you are right now it's like this gray area where you're technically not doing anything illegal but it is sort of still like an an underground kind of industry? Well, on the one hand, I'm very confident that this will be legal in the United States by like 2035. I feel good about that number. On the second hand, it's almost like I've done all this research for people that they could do, right? If they went on the internet and really invested their time and like 
pursued a coaching certification and learned these skills, like mm-hmm. none of what I give you isn't something that you could not invest your own time and energy right. in doing, you know, through your own pursuits legally. Yeah. Um, but I, of course, you know, have done all the legwork for you. Exactly. And that's the value of the investment, the the tools that I give you that I show you how to do and the way that I've set it up and my understanding at a deeper level of what's happening at a neurobiological level. Um, But also, you know, especially in California, we're dealing with a lot of fentanyl. We're dealing with a lot of meth, like in the inner valley, like Fresno. I'm the least of anyone's problems out here teaching people how to microdose to their anxiety and be like a happier, more loving kind. Yeah, you're small problems. Yeah, exactly. Are you comfortable, Julie, talking about you started off by saying that you started experimenting with microdosing yourself due to anxiety that you didn't even recognize what you were dealing with? Are you comfortable giving us a little bit of information or insight into how this how this bettered your life? What where did you go with before it? you do that? Because I, I, I thought I heard you say that you also tried conventional therapy and then that wasn't for you. Yeah. Tell me if if you're cool with it. Say whatever you want, or just tell me, Mark, fuck off. What type of therapy were you in? That you, who set you up with that? Was that your idea? Was that someone else's idea? And then what about it? Did you find not helpful for you? Um, well, I'm going to start off with saying thanks so much to that Canadian I dated for prompting me to seek psychiatric help <laughs> <laughs> because he really pushed every one of my buttons. I'm going to find him and off Leslie <laughs> I, I felt like I was, and I don't say, I don't like this word, but I felt like I was going crazy. Like I was losing it right. based on like our interactions and just like what was happening in our relationships and how much it was provoking deep, deep anxiety and panic attacks. And so I, this, I'm going to be real honest in law school, I went to a psychiatrist to try to finagle my way to get Adderall because I wanted it to study. And they were like, I think that you're anxious and depressed. And I was like, nah. <laughs> I'm good. Prozac. <laughs> um, and I, Prozac really scared me. And to be honest, uh, antidepressants still very much freak me out. And so I think at that point, there was something going on in my head where if I'm going to try and take this because I realized something was not optimal in my life, I want to see someone in conjunction with it because I don't just want to like free ball this or whatever. Right. Um, so I pursued getting a therapist and I found her through a friend who also used her and she was in my insurance. So I was like, okay, I'll give this a shot. And I want to say at the front, I don't think this is true of every therapist. I think there are probably thousands, tens of thousands, amazing practitioners. Mine, I felt was very re-traumatizing. So we'll get to the the core of the story. My dad died when I was little and my mom is very avoidant. She's not really like emotional and I felt like I had to perform my whole life. I had to be the smart kid. I had to do well. I had to exceed. And the one person who loved me unconditionally, my dad, died when I was little. Mm-hmm. And I know now my mom loves me unconditionally and blah, blah, blah. That's beautiful. But at the time, I felt like every single week we were talking about how my dad died and why my mom sucked and why she made me the way I am. And it's my mom's fault. And then my mom and I became really divisive because I was hearing this over and over again of like, your mom's your problem. Your mom's your problem. I wrote codependent. I read codependent no more. Mm-hmm. And I was like, my mom is my problem. So I felt like we were always stuck in the past, right? Like digging up old shit, kicking up dust. And I was like, why are we doing like, what are, what's happening? This is not serving me. I'm not moving forward. So when I found coaching and personal development, it's very goal oriented. It's very future facing. And sometimes you might address things from your past in order to, you know, clear them and let them go. But we're not stuck here. We're Mm -hmm. really always projecting into the future. And that to me is a more 
supportive, exciting, beautiful place to live than focusing on the fucked up things that happened to me when I was eight, you know? Yeah. Do you think the the other part of it than the coaching part of it, uh, do you think it was easier because you did that, because you were in therapy, even though you felt it wasn't helpful at the time, maybe maybe it did serve a purpose in allowing you to kind of excel past that part of looking at your past when doing coaching? I think that I think it was a very worthwhile experience. I don't regret anything. I don't regret the Canadian or going to therapy. And I actually have really made peace with my dad dying because I think that it it made me a very uh I'm a very motivated individual, you know, and I feel like he's always with me. But um I wasn't in therapy that long and I will say having a dead dad, especially at that young of an age, is something that comes up a lot. So I continue to deal with it. Mm-hmm. You know, in coaching, sometimes things will trigger me and it'll still come up and I'll still deal with that feeling of my dad's never going to walk me down the aisle. Right. You know, I'm I'm never going to be able to talk to him or get advice from him because he was an entrepreneur and now I'm in the entrepreneurial space. But I, you know, I do think that I did a lot of crying those like six months, nine months I was in therapy. And I'm sure that was a big release that I needed. And I don't regret reading Codependent No More. I think it's a very supportive and helpful book. So I, I'm not completely shitting on the experience, but I definitely, I quickly reached a point where I no longer felt like I was getting a benefit from it. So the initial release I do think was beneficial, but there wasn't a lot of forward focus after that, where I felt like I was in a place where it was like, I want to take responsibility over my life. It's no longer like, oh, my mom should have done something different. Maybe she should, maybe she shouldn't have. But at the end of the day, I can't get that moment back and I want to move forward. Was this ever a conversation that happened with your therapist? It's like, okay, you know what? I think the work on the past stuff was great. It, it served its purpose. I think it's run its course. I'm willing to move on to the next step. What is the next step? Did that conversation ever happen? Just out of curiosity. No, it didn't. And it didn't because I don't, I wasn't in a place of my own personal leadership and advocacy. You know, right. now in a, I've only had coaching relationships since then, but now if I don't enjoy something about the coaching relationship or I feel like they're focusing on something that I'm done with, I will speak up for myself and I will be the leader of my own life. But at that point, that time, yeah. I didn't have that skill. And, you know, I didn't even know that that was possible where I could kind of like direct things. I think I was very like yeah, makes, still naive. I hadn't started practicing yet and realizing sort of that you got to take the world <laughs> by its balls, right, like, right. or, you know, it's going to run you over. Yeah, so. and, and, and if your therapist isn't also encouraging that type of, that type of dialogue, then obviously it, it might not occur to somebody to, to pursue that dialogue. I get it. So once you decided that the, you know, the talk therapy wasn't for you, you discovered coaching, um, what changes or what, what things did you notice improvements or otherwise in your life when you started microdosing yourself? So I, I felt like in my own personal life, I had a good hold on my anxiety. I no longer really identified with that word. Of course, we all experience moments of anxiety, um, but it wasn't something like I would use as an attribute to describe me anymore. However, there were real blocks in my business and I felt like I just could not make it work. I was like, I don't know what what's wrong if I'm not because I know I'm a good coach, but like maybe something's off with my messaging or my branding or something. And there's something that microdosing has given me through about my mindset, where it's just like, I don't even I changed the quality of questions I was asking myself. It's no longer what am I doing wrong? It's like, what's on my heart to talk about today? Or how can I be of service today? And it's so much more positive and forward focused versus thinking about things that aren't going right. I'm thinking about the possibility or sorry, thinking about all the things that are going wrong. I'm thinking about the possibility of all the things that 
could be going right and focusing my energy there. And I, I'm such more of an action taker, right? I used to really get stuck in um, inaction and avoidance mm. and thinking about things too long. Really like it's, it's life is optimized and the environment is optimized. There's a really cool lecture by Alan Watts. When we continue to take action and make choice after choice after choice, because it says democracy is the optimal uh, setting, not because you know, moral values or anything like that prevail, but it's simply like the uh, the number of choices adding up in the aggregate will always trend toward what is symbiotic for the environment as a whole. Mm -hmm. And I've really found that for myself is I just take action and I see what sits and I don't get attached to it. I don't make it mean anything about myself. I'm very neutral in how I view myself, neither good nor bad or right nor wrong, but I'm always learning. And I'm almost like um like a computer processor, right? I'm just taking in information and uh, analyzing the data in a very clear and rational way. So it's really helped me just, <sighs> life can feel really sticky. And I kind of like was going there last night. Uh, I took an edible and I got a little too high in my bed. And I was like, oh, I was like getting really hard on myself. I don't like this behavior. Why am I doing this? Blah, blah, blah. It's like, let's just give ourselves some grace and compassion and celebrate the times that we make choices that do work and are supportive for ourselves. So I'm just, I'm really able to shift in such a beautiful way and not get stuck in any experience too long, but also not be afraid of being in the experience. I really mm. love that. But for the skeptics out there, well, well, I'll get back to that. But for the skeptics out there, like how can you make it, simplify it? How is it that microdosing is able to do that? Because there's people that are saying, well, I, you know, I was able to achieve that through meditation or possibly talk therapy or other sort of like self-awareness, self-discovery things, whatever it is people are using. How is it that the microdosing helped to change your mindset in such a profound way? Yeah. So I love to look at microdosing. I'm very obsessed with the science at like the neurobiological level, at a functional level, and not so much at a neurochemical level. Um, so I like to focus on, on structure. So if we're looking at structure, then you said meditation, which is such a great example because the same structures are at play inside our brain. There are centers that are connected called the default mode network, and they're centers of consciousness of self-referential thinking of, um, sort of what we call like the ego, right? The ego is just ourself. It's when we identify as me. I am Julie. I have this body. I am my thoughts. All of that is ego, right? So when we take psychedelics, when you're a really good meditator and you can get into that transcendental state, what you're doing is you're quieting down the structures or lessening the activity of the structures in the DMN, which allow you to stop identifying so much with yourself, with your ego. And when we quiet that down, we open up the possibility to see things from literally a higher perspective, right? We're no longer stuck in the muck and the mire of me. We're out here. We're looking at things at a more interconnected level. And it gives us some space to to breathe and some room to breathe and to think about things in a different way. And what's interesting about psychedelics is it also activates new parts of our brains to communicate that normally don't. So we're literally creating new and novel solutions that we otherwise would never do because everyone has very deep bridges in their brains or associations where thoughts naturally go, but especially people who experience anxiety, depression, OCD, addiction, PTSD, all of those are very linked at a structural level of what's happening in your brain. But those people have really deep bridges. And so this is a cool example from Paul Stamets. But what he says is psychedelics are almost like fresh powder over the ridges. So instead of getting stuck, always sledding down one sort of trail in the hill, you now can kind of sled wherever you want to go. So that's what's happening at a, at a functional level in our brain. And that's why it's so impactful. And I'm not saying you can't get there in other 
in other ways like meditation, like breathwork. I'm a breathwork facilitator, but it's the same thing. Same concept is happening. And for a lot of people, psychedelics is the one time where they feel like their brain is quiet enough to actually do the work because therapy, coaching, whatever isn't effective if you're so deep in your ridge that you can't see anything else. I like that analogy. I feel like it's there's also a lot of self-discipline and heavy amounts of work to achieve that via breath work or meditation yeah. or whatever the case is. I feel like that that ro- that road is like years and years and years of practice 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 before it actually makes big dents or or covers the 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 crevices or ridges. I don't know. I'm making shit up. I don't know. I don't know anything about this. <laughs> That's just based on what you guys are talking about. That's what it sounds like to me. Where where microdosing was it would would probably get you there a little bit quicker. Yeah, I don't want to discount the value of the work. I have been meditating since 2017, <laughs> so now I feel like I can access the same sort of states through meditation. Right. But again, that's six years of a practice. Exactly. I I don't want to set the stage that microdosing is a magic bullet because I no, think no. sometimes people come into work and think that. But you can take a microdosing supplement, right? And pair it with not too much time of intentional work, like the most effective of the work and get results way faster than you would either just doing that work alone or trying to become an expert meditator or, you know, I don't know, devoting yourself to Kundalini yoga. Like the, the changes are much quicker and you still have to do pair it with some work, but Mm -hmm. it's not as much of an undertaking as other things like my seven years or six years of a you know meditation practice. It's like enzyme activity, man. Just speeds that fucker up. Just speeds it up. Yep. I don't know. That's what it sounds like. Well, that's exactly what it sounded like to me. And even as I was listening to the analogy with getting stuck in the crevices, like I watch so many people, especially now after the last few years of, you know, the collective stress in the world, I watch so many people where it's like all they can see is exactly like you said, this same pattern. It's like, well, I have to do this because I need this and I have to go there, but then that leaves me here and then I'm back over here. And it's just a vicious, it's a vicious psych circle of the same patterns, the same patterns, and there isn't a lot of forward movement. And it, it does take something very, very intentional to get out of that cycle. And most of the time, the very, very intentional thing is uncomfortable or scary and anxiety producing. And can drop you right back into the crevice if the anxiety takes over, right? So I like that analogy a lot. But I also think that there's value in recognizing I'm stuck in a crevice. Uh, absolutely. And, and, but, and I think Julie but, said that by but being I, okay yes, with yes, being yes, there yes. too. But really absorbing what that means and, 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 and how that affects your operation. Do you know what I mean? Versus... I'm stuck in a crevice and I'm not even going to think about this, but I'm just going to, I'm just going to start thinking about all the good ignore and and almost like ignoring where I'm at and try to shift my mindset to completely something beneficial. So I'm just like kind of dismissing this at the moment. That's like the Coles notes of a a book report, you know, like you can't can't skip the work. And I think that's, you know, what Julie's trying to say too, is you can't skip the hard work. It doesn't, it's not a magic pill at all. But for me, there's a lot of, I'm an old school fucker that, 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 that <laughs> that thinks like a little bit of self punishment is a good thing provided you can control it. It's when you can't control it then there, then you got a major problem, right? I got no problems feeling bad and talking bad to myself, but I also know when to turn it off. 
I also know when it's helpful for me. And I, I recognize that it can be helpful for me. Some people it's not, but I recognize it can be helpful for me. And then I also recognize when it's too much and I got to turn this off because it's affecting my ability to function. The biggest thing I'm hearing from what you're saying, though, is that you have such an amazing level of self-awareness and an accurate data set by which you can compare results and again, speak to that place of is this effective? Is it not effective? And for so many people, they just get so absorbed in those thoughts and feelings that it has far exceeded any benefit and has just become this debilitating like layer of dust that's now dirt that's now like a grave that you're digging yourself because there's so much so much pressure. But to your point of, you know, it's not about avoiding any of these feelings. So I follow Stamets protocol or a modification of Stamets protocol within my program. So the third module or the third set of on days is all about sitting with and dealing with difficult emotions. And there's this one exercise I've based off the work of Eckhart Tolle, and I'm never sure if I say his name right. But what he talks about, it's a meditation I've created, is this, the feelings that we're having aren't really what's making us unhappy. It's the stories that we're attributing it to, Hmm. to it, right? It's like, it's not really that like, my dad died, the feeling of sadness, which I can be present to and I can feel the sadness. It's the stories that I'm attaching to it of no one's going to walk me down the aisle of like, I don't have this person who loved me unconditionally of like no one loved me. It's like all the other stuff that mm-hmm. we, we make it mean. So in the meditation, I ask people to present themselves to something that's really uncomfortable for them to let the story go and to just feel whatever the feeling is, right? Really feel loneliness, feel anger, feel frustration, feel sadness, feel rejection, feel abandonment, whatever it is. But even let go of the word and just feel it because that's where true healing comes. And and that to me is also a big missing piece is embodiment, the mind-body connection. So, you know, module two is all about embodiment and about like breath work and and feeling what it feels like to exist in your body because trauma is stored here just as much as it's stored here. I'm looking at you like you're thinking something. It's interesting when you were talking, I'm I'm listening to you guys, but it's interesting when you were talking about um, when it's helpful or not helpful to, I don't know how you word it, but to like, I don't know, feel something about yourself or feel sorry, and you know when to get out of it. And then Julie talking about you having that level of self-awareness. It's bringing me back to this. this is a very simplistic, but just for people who to understand this a little more, an example from yesterday. Um, Mark made a choice to work from home because our kids were in school. I've been homesick. So he's like, oh, I'll just stay home. I've got work here I can do, blah, 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 blah. And this has happened before. And when we're here at the office, he's got three screens that he can work from. He's got all the the tools he needs. So he's working from home. And because he was working from home, he didn't have his calendar right in front of him and mistaked an appointment by like 30 minutes. Like I said to him, hey, don't you have to get going soon? You have an appointment. And then it was like his whole day was flipped upside down and he was upset, right? Naturally, you think you have an appointment in an hour and it's in 30 minutes. Okay, you're going to be a little upset. But this anger, like he was getting mad at himself, like, fuck, I shouldn't have worked from home. If I was at the office, this never would have happened, blah, 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 blah. I think that was the example that came to my mind because it was like you getting mad at yourself yesterday. Mm -hmm. You said to me, see this, this feeling that I have right now is not worth staying at home to be comfortable at home. Mm -hmm. It was like he needed to get mad at himself so he'd remember this the next time. Like, Mm -hmm. no, I do better work at work. I'm more functional at work working from home it sounds nice sometimes but it doesn't serve me and it doesn't do well and so in the moment i, he, I was just like wow you're so fucking angry this is but, not a big deal see, that's, but i understand uh, the purpose of the anger yeah. for and, him and, in that and, moment and, and i do that purposefully and then this is where sometimes i, I think maybe you now 
just saying, just hearing you say that, I, th- I feel like you now kind of understand a little bit more when I say, I enjoy when I get angry because those moments allow me to just kind of put me back on track of like, this is something that I just can't do or this feeling that I have right now, I don't want it again. And I make the mental note, like, so I'm, I'm learning along the way. But that for me doesn't happen unless I get to display that yeah, anger but it was it and then was when it's you, happening i actually enjoy it because I, yeah. I it's for me it's like i'm making these corrections i'm making these corrections but i'm, I'm a but that's the thing is it's weirdo, what you had though. said before that actually that um you said i'm mad at myself for the decisions i made yeah and like i said in that moment i was like wow you're being like super hard on yourself you made a choice to work from home you were also thinking of me you were keeping me company you were trying to be comfortable it's like minus fucking 30 you're in san diego you don't understand the cold we deal with man oh well you dated a canadian we are so cold so i was like wow like you're really like you're you're mad for making decisions that made sense but it wasn't until after when you know you said that this feeling is not worth it. So, you know, not having to go out in the cold and getting to stay home in the comfort of our own home was none of that not, was worth that none of feeling. it was worth the feeling that wouldn't have existed had you just done your work. And I know this is such a simplistic example, but just so people understand, there's like, you know, there's a feeling of feeling that's going to help you. Like, you know, him getting mad at himself and, and having displaying that anger in the moment was helpful for later versus like this pattern of like making decisions and then constantly being mad at yourself and beating yourself up. Like I realized after he wasn't beating himself up, he had to yell at himself a little bit and (laughs) then he was okay. (laughs) I don't know. Julie, what do you think of this whole thing? This was my best (laughs) example of, of feeling feelings for a purpose. (laughs) It's a beautiful example. And I think, like, I, I just want to acknowledge that you're doing something that I know a majority of people aren't doing. Like a vast majority of people don't get to the point that you got to of saying, I'm angry and my anger is serving a purpose. And that purpose is rewiring my brain. It's teaching me new behavior and it's helping me remember what I can do to feel mm-hmm. the opposite of this, to feel good. And I, I think anger is important. I think every emotion is important if we are learning something from it, but so many people get pissed off because someone cuts them off on their way to work and then they spend the whole day in a shitty mood and they never really realize like how much it impacted them or that it did, or there was never any like lesson to take away from it. Um, And it's that to me is where society has gotten really off track because we're not even taught the skill of being self-referential of thinking like, hmm, why am I feeling this way? And how can this serve me? And and what can I learn? And what can I take away? We just get mad and then we stay mad and it ruins our whole day. So I love that you have that practice and that ability to become above your, your feeling and look down at it and say, this is what this is here for. So many people though just get stuck in the feeling or what I see more than anything is People don't want to feel however they're feeling. And so they think they can avoid it and they numb out and they watch TV or they have a bunch of sex or they do drugs. Um, And they're avoiding, avoiding, avoiding. And then the problem is like a cancer and it grows and it eats you because you never feel it. So it's like one of the two. Unfortunately, we just don't have the skills. We're not taught the skills to really move through it in a way that can allow for something more beautiful to come. So interesting. I I love that you said um, every feeling has um, a purpose or, you know, that they're all important because uh, funny enough, of all people, Mark and I have been accused of toxic positivity before on more than one occasion, which I don't feel to be the truth. But, you know, we we talk a lot about 
understanding that you're in much more control of your life than you might realize you are and understanding the power of your brain and your thoughts and your mindset. And, you know, that's really the messaging we're always trying to give people is like you're you're not necessarily stuck where you think you are. We're not ever trying to minimize circumstance. You know, some people definitely are are dealt shittier hands than other people and things happen and you know experiences happen your dad passing away when you were super young yeah that fucking sucks and I didn't have to deal with that but the messaging we're always trying to give people is whatever whatever situations you're dealt you have choices you have opportunities you can you can decide how you react to things you know it's how i try to work with my kids with dealing with their emotions like it's okay to to feel frustrated or sad or angry or whatever but you also have the choice of how you want to react to certain things and so when we are trying to get that messaging out you know mark posts a lot of inspirational quotes or song lyrics or things about you know just really taking control of shit and being in charge of your own life and then there are people who are like you you guys are toxically positive and this isn't healthy and I don't think in any way that's what we're trying to do I don't think that you shouldn't feel the feelings I don't think that shit doesn't happen but we can just stay in this crevice and walk around it forever and ever and ever and that's not serving anyone it's so well I don't believe in accidents but it is so wild that you said that because I had this very interesting high thought last night. I'm going to go sit at a macro ceremony this evening. Um, Someone's facilitating it for me. And so I felt like my ceremony actually started last night when I accidentally got too high on this edible. (laughs) But um, I really, I believe in radical responsibility. And I believe that we are all, I know that we are all powerful creators of our our life. And I believe in an infinite number of possibilities that is ultimately in, in my hands that I get to choose that will come to being as a reflection of the choices I'm making. But I was thinking about this person who I really love, but who isn't aligned. Um, he's very like nihilistic and almost like Nietzsche. He's like, you know, time, time is a flat circle. Like anything that's happening is going to happen. And it was all already written. Hmm. And I was thinking about him and I was like, I think that he really believes this. That, like there's only one timeline that everything's just unfolding as it always was going to. And we're all kind of powerless because he's had such a tough life, like truly a very, hard life, but he also doesn't want to take any responsibility over his future. And so it's easier for him to say that like, things are just going to happen and it's out of his control and he's powerless because he also doesn't want to accept any responsibility for the things that have happened to him in the past. And I think that's what's hard for people about like the concept of forgiveness. It's, you know, your, what happened to you wasn't your fault. If you were abused, it was not your fault. If you were rejected or hurt or unloved that's not your fault but it is your responsibility like we're all adults this dude's older than I am like he's an adult it's his responsibility on how he wants to move forward and I think it takes you getting into a place of radical responsibility of extreme ownership before you're ready to embrace the fact that you are in control of your own car Mm-hmm. driving along the road of life. Absolutely. I mean, and and I I always hear, well, it's easy to say if you have this, you know, it's easy to say if you've got money or you've got time or you've got supportive people around you. And yeah, again, sure, there are people who probably have um, factors in their life that make it easier. I've been putting, I'll put that in air quotes, easier. But I know people who are, you know, not very rich don't have family. Like I, I I know people who maybe on the outside or on paper doesn't look like they have everything that everybody thinks they want, but they love their life and they're happy and they're taking control of what they're doing. And they're, you know, they're not 
sitting around wallowing in the fact that they don't have this or they can't go here. I, I don't know. I'm not doing a very eloquent job of explaining this, but that's always the the messaging that I think we're trying to put out to people is you really need to take some sort of control of your life. And it doesn't mean everything's going to be sunshine and rainbows and happy all the time. But if you sit back and think, well, shit just happens to me and there's nothing I can do about it, mm. that's when you end up getting stuck in that crevice. And so what I'm hearing for people like that Maybe, maybe hiring a coach or getting somebody to help facilitate microdosing might be beneficial for well, you yeah, to be able to see above what you think is your only reality. In your reality, is your comfort zone. You sit in your comfort zone. Whether your comfort zone is a piece of shit or your comfort zone is awesome, that's where you sit because that's where you're comfortable. Yeah. And there's a lot of fear in moving out of that comfort zone. So you'll make every excuse to stay in that comfort zone. And like I said, even if that comfort zone is crap. Yep. You know what I mean? I love to think about my dad when I hear people talk about this because my dad was abandoned when he was 12. Mm. Um, no one wanted him. He started working, figured it out and built himself a really amazing life. But, you know, he didn't have any breaks going for him. Well, he was a white dude, um, which I know is a big benefit. Um, but he didn't have resources or support or family and he had a drinking problem. And it's like, he's still like, he took control of his life. He knew that like, no one was going to just hand him anything. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, like happiness is an inside game. And I love what you said about people are going to stay with what's comfortable because it's true, whether you're comfortable in crap or you're comfortable in a mansion, that's what you know. And I love to tell people before we start breathing and, and breath work, in order to break through, you have to break through. And your subconscious mind is not primed for your you know, greatest expression and expansion. It's primed for safety. So we, we find safety in what we know. So if all that you've known is a shit life and a shit existence, it's going to feel really uncomfortable to try to do something that's going to help you move out of it. Yeah, definitely. Do I have to be open to to taking things like to, to microdose. Like I don't like to take medication. I won't take cold medication unless I ultimately feel like I need to, but I avoid it dramatically. Um, I smoke weed and, and blah, blah, blah. But I, I don't feel like that's, that's a weird altering thing that happens to me. He doesn't even really drink uh, alcohol. Anymore. Yeah. I don't really drink. Do, uh, <laughs> What I want to know is when someone is going to be microdosing, like, is there an ideal candidate, basically? And is there someone that's not an ideal candidate? This is not a good idea. Yeah, for sure. So, like, the first part of your question, you have to be open to taking something. Yeah. You do, like, you have to take it in a capsule, right? Like, I don't know how else you could, it could be administered yeah, right, right. to you, at least psilocybin. Yeah. It looks like a little vitamin capsule, but, um, but like, at, like, an emotional level, like, are you open to taking yes, it? Yes, yes. I think... So I really do believe like life is also just psychosomatic. So if you don't think you're going to get at anything out of it, mm -hmm. then cool, you probably won't because that's your mindset and that's your intention. That's the energy you're putting forth into it. Um, good candidates. I always say people who kind of either feel like they're in a rut. That's where I was in my business, right? Like things just weren't working. Mm -hmm. Maybe I wanted some more creativity or to feel like um, I was taking more action. People with ADHD, great candidate for them to help them get off medication they don't want to be on. Mm -hmm. Those people who do experience addiction, OCD, anxiety, depression, PTSD, all great candidates. Um, not great candidates. So there is this thing called serotonin syndrome. So SSRIs um, and psychedelics, well, 
LSD and um, psilocybin work on serotonin. So it's almost like they're competing for a receptor. Mm -hmm. And serotonin syndrome is something that you would worry about like in a higher dose, which is like, you know, sort of like an over an overkill in your brain. And then you start to have some not great symptoms. But it's also more likely if you have like a comorbidity or something. But at a basic level, if you're taking an SSRI and you're microdosing, you're less likely to get a benefit simply because receptors are competing. And you're not getting as much out of the the microdosing as you could be if you were not on an SSRI. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, if someone came to me and they're like, I don't, you know. Well, what's interesting. So one woman, when I first started, I think she kind of thought I was cocoa bananas. But she was like, I really <laughs> want to get off my ADHD medication. And, and I'm like very open to trying it. I just am very scared that I'm going to trip, even though I told her multiple times you can't trip if you really just take the one capsule of a microdose. Right. Anyway, so she leaned in and she loves it. She's like my biggest advocate. Let's think my prices from the micro or from the mountaintops. But um, if someone came to me and they're like, this is BS, I don't like this isn't going to work, blah, blah, blah. I would never facilitate with them because, of course, it's not going to work. Like you are, you know, Mr. Grumpy Pants over here and Mr. Skeptic. So mm. if you don't believe in it, don't do it. Right. Like I don't really like like the whole beyond meat craze. So I don't eat it. Yeah, that makes sense. Mom, my mom would never listen, but mom, if you are listening, stop listening now. But I mean, it makes it makes so much sense to me because, like, when I was in my when I was in university, yesterday. there was one time. I'm just joking, I'm just joking. Yesterday, it's one time. At there camp. was one time at band camp that me and that a flute? bunch of friends. Oh, come on! Sorry, sorry. And we all know. Um, <laughs> me and a bunch of friends decided to actually take mushrooms in university. So this is obviously very, you know, this is different. This is not like you know with a facilitator and microdosing. This was like a bunch of dumbass kids that were like, eh, let's trip out and um i was i had never done it before and i was just like kind of excited for the experience i was with a group of people that i really trusted and i was in a place that was safe and like i was excited for the experience i had one friend with me who was kind of nervous going in like what's gonna happen i don't know what if i have a bad trip blah 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 blah. can we guess which one of us had a great fucking night and which one of us had to be driven home and taken care of Mm. that's very interesting it it illustrates a great point which is in psychedelic set and setting are very important set meeting your mindset and setting meeting your environment so yeah the way that you feel going into it really matters so that's when i especially when i'm facilitating at the macro level i give people flight instructions because you want people to like know what to expect you want to have their nerves quelled as much as you can and if you think you're gonna freak the fuck out and have a mental breakdown like guess what's going to happen (laughs) Mm-hmm. Guess what's gonna happen? Yeah, it was a very, it was a very See, interesting why, night. <laughs> that's why, that's why I don't think I would, because I can probably trip myself out just by thinking about things for long enough. Do you know what I mean? Like, you I can, definitely I, I can. can. I can get yeah. deep into my head and uh, with with no help of any substance at all, and, and trip myself out. And that's one reason why I'm like, I don't ever think I have a desire to take anything that that. Uh, that I might have less control, that I feel like I would have less control over tripping myself out. Also, out of the, out of the out two of us, Julie can probably tell you right now which one of us is a better candidate, not even for just for that reason, hmm. but you're already the guy that, you know, you've displayed that you have a certain level of self-awareness that not a lot of people do. And I mean, as his wife, I can say even the emotional maturity is kind of there. Not a lot of men I can say that about. So... <laughs> Congrats to you, sir. But there is a certain level of self-awareness that you already have. You, I don't find that you're the type of person that really gets stuck in ruts. You are the king of possibilities. I would say me, 
more so would be the type of person that sometimes could probably use a little bit of help. I definitely catch myself in ruts. Hmm. I mean, I'm thankful to have a partner that can say like, get the fuck out of there. But I I think out of the two of us, I would be the one that would probably benefit from it more. I think, you know, just based on the way that your brain works, you don't seem to get stuck in these these vicious cycles of like feeling lost and not knowing what to do with yourself. You're you're a guy that just wakes up and sees the possibilities and just starts doing things and then brings me along for the ride. <laughs> <laughs> well, I also just really want to reiterate this point of if you're microdosing, you're never going to feel it. You're never going to feel out of control. It's much right. less than smoking weed or having a glass of alcohol for a macro dose. Of course, you are going to experience that more. But I'm really curious. So you smoke. And I only say this because this is my personal experience. Yeah. I feel like I get stuck in weird places more on weed than I do anywhere else. So like you don't ever get that feeling when you smoke. Oh, yes, he does. I do. I, 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 <laughs> oh, okay. I, I, I can. But I can get that. I can get that place anytime. Like I can get that place just oh. sitting here right now. Do you know what I mean? And I can definitely get that place on weed. But then, I, you know. I, I, yeah, but even that I you know another example is like there'll be times where if he's smoked a little bit more than usual so he's a little bit too high yep. and he might start either feeling nervous about something or starting to feel like hey like my my hand feels numb it w is this normal was it? he has this ability to look at me and say like no I'm stoned I'm stoned right like I'm just stoned, I'm stoned. none of this is really 10 minutes ago really a big deal 10 I'm just minutes stoned. Ago, none of this shit was here I'm just I'm just stoned and he can pull himself back out but definitely he yeah. can start to freak out a little bit if he's smoked a little bit too much yeah normally just takes a little bit of a just go to the mirror and just go we're just fucking stoned bro <laughs> <laughs> and then and That's then all just not many people have yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh, definitely not me because I don't I don't smoke nearly as much. I shouldn't say nearly as much, but I don't smoke as much as he does. But there was a night uh, prior to getting sick that I did smoke with him. And I don't know if you remember this night, but I started having um, oh, this is so embarrassing, but I feel like I can, you know, podcast listeners, sorry, overshare majorly. I had drank a very carbonated drink mm. and I. I swear it was just like gas bubbles like trapped inside of me and I was like oh my god like I I actually felt like I was dying like I was so high <laughs> and I kept saying I'm like is this what a baby feels like like I had gas but the gas pain got so bad in my mind that I was like I'm not gonna be able to breathe like something I feel like something inside of me is gonna explode you see my body language now that's how I was like I was freaking the fuck out and Mark was like relax he goes you will burp and you will be fine. <laughs> like, that's what he kept saying to me. You're fine. You will burp and you will be fine. <laughs> you should have patted her little back like a baby. Oh, he did. It was very embarrassing. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he was literally like, I, we laughed about it the next day. I was like, did you burp at me last night? Like, he was literally hitting my back. So I was like, it just, but yeah, I basically chugged Aww. like a carbonated drink and I had, <laughs> I had gas like a baby and I freaked the fuck out and thought I was dying. I'm alive, guys. Didn't die. So embarrassing. <laughs> it's so funny. When I get to that place, I'm like totally the lean in girl. So I really lean in because one time I heard on a podcast, on a podcast that when you get high like that, like it's something that's there for you to sort of resolve. Hmm. So I will really go there if I start to feel weird about something like I will lean in and explore that feeling. <laughs> I don't know how I would have explored the gas. <laughs> oh, no, no. The gas was like a weird, but it's funny that you say that too, because I just got LASIK. So I was laying there also a little too high last night with like my special glasses on <laughs> and my eye mask and it was like 
pushing on my eye and I started to have a thought of like, this is going to mess up my cornea. And I was like, no, Julie, we're just going to go on your back. <laughs> You're going to be okay. You're going to be fine. That's funny. Oh, man. This is this is really interesting to me, though. So for people who are listening that don't quite understand, you know, you sort of alluded to the fact that's a, a small capsule. You're not, you know, you're not tripping. You're not getting high. Can you, you know, the elevator pitch, if someone's listening to this and wanted to reach out to you for coaching, what does this whole process look like? So microdosing involves taking a very small amount, a sub-hallucinogenic amount of a psychedelic substance. In this case, I only right now facilitate with psilocybin. Mm -hmm. So you're taking one-tenth of a gram. And at that level, you're not going to experience any hallucinatory effects. Um, You're not really even going to notice it. Some people experience a slight uptick in mood. Some people feel even more relaxed, like they can meditate. And for a period of 30 days, I have a program already built out that takes you through a protocol um, or a whole you know, schedule of microdosing. And for each on day, each day you're taking the capsule, there is a specific tool there, an exercise to help you maximize the neuroplasticity or those new neural pathways, as well as the neurogenesis or the creation of new neurons in your brain. And then for off days, there's also support. So that's more like an integration, a sustainability day. My whole thing is I want to help you make your life better without microdosing. I want you to, to get you to a new step on the ladder without this. So like we're not creating more crutches, we're actually creating more independence. And then you can do it again if you want to take some more steps up the ladder. So that's an option. But I also take people through custom protocols where you tell me what you're looking to do with your life. And I create uh, a stack. So not just the psilocybin, but you know, there's other functional mushroom supplements, there's nootropics, and we create a, a custom sort of plan for you. And then that involves one to one coaching. And I help you get to very specific goals, um, working with me at a deeper level, but the program is also there and you can set an intention for the program. Um, and that has helped people heal like money stuff that's come up for them. Um, it's helped people lose weight. It's helped people start businesses. So that's, you know, a very like all encompassing. If you just want to give it a try and see what it's like, that's there for you. If you know, you want to work on something very specific and you like that deeper level of support and you want a protocol that's just like for you and your needs and what you're going through, that's more where the one-to-one comes in. When I take a capsule and I'm microdosing, how long do I expect these effects to last? So on the day, people say like people who do notice a slight uptick in mood or concentration or something yeah. will report, you know, four to six hours. But again, it's not like having a glass of wine or smoking cannabis, right. but the changes in your life, like the real sustainable changes. Um, I say people can microdose just once a year or two times a year because it might last, you know, six to mo- six months to a year. That's pretty typical of effects. Yeah. Um, and then you can kind of do it again for maintenance, right? But you could also do several in a row, taking a shorter break, like two week break, mm-hmm. um, if you feel like you want to make some more steps. Ultimately, you could take eight in a year. I don't know anyone who has or feels like they need to because they get to a place where they feel good. But if you came back to it once a year, you could totally maintain whatever uh, effects you had created in your life. I was I was looking at you because I'm like, it looks like you're thinking so many things. Well, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm thinking about the some of the people that I know that go on these retreats. And I'm trying to think of the people that I know that run these retreats. How do they screen? I'm curious of how they screen, not, not necessarily in this scenario, but how do they screen to be like, you you need this you you feel you need this and 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 we believe you need this and this could be helpful versus you just want to go in the jungle and do drugs do you see what i'm saying mm. like how how does someone 
distinguish between the two. And does it matter? And does, and if does somebody it just wants to experience well, it, can, is that I, okay I too? I can understand someone, if, if they're doing it for medicinal purposes, they're running these things for medicinal purposes. They're like, we don't want drug heads. Like, that's not what we're, that's not what we're after here, right? We, we're, we're not looking for someone that just wants to go have an experience. We're looking to do, we're looking to do healing here. So I can, I can get that. But your, your question is really good. Is there a difference or, or you know? Um, well, on the one hand, I like to think that no one with this work, right? I don't think anyone needs anything. And I don't like using that language because that to me was also part of like the mental health world that I didn't love it was like oh you're you have generalized anxiety and, and depression and you need to go to therapy it was like well I want the way how I was feeling I wanted I took responsibility over how I was feeling and I wanted to, to feel differently um, I could have existed in that state in mm-hmm. in perpetuity but to your point of does it make a difference if it is it's recreational idea or it's like this healing yeah. motivation so I would be more I would think about that more if like we were working with like MDMA, right, which is coming out more to in like a facilitation of disagreements, right, whether that be divorce proceedings or um, arbitration in like a gridlock business environment. I would worry more about like that being recreational because MDMA, like that's a lot of fun, right? Mushrooms, like psilocybin, ayahuasca, I would not say that these are super fun. I mean, I've had beautiful experiences with them, but it's intense. Like, yep. I don't know someone who thinks like I'm going to go in the jungle and sit with ayahuasca and like have and a start vomiting up, everywhere and, and like shit my pants. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. And not just physically, like emotionally, like yeah, yeah, a yeah. life review is something that comes up a lot for people in these experiences where you literally like go back and you think about the way you made people feel throughout the course of your life. And oh, like, why would someone decide to do that on a Tuesday? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> if we were at a rave and it was like, who wants some MDMA? Then I might be like, eh, well, let's talk about your intention for this process. But even psilocybin, like, I anticipate tonight, like, really crying and like feeling my feelings. And that to me is like, it's a good time because I like the work. But for someone looking to have a good time, I don't think that's a good time. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, you and I are asking questions completely blind because. This is not something that we have done before. I mean, I don't count my my one mushroom trip in university. <laughs> yeah. And again, that was not for a therapeutic purpose. <laughs> that was a, you know, 21-year-old thinking, I wonder what will happen if I take these. Hmm. Also in that setting, though, and I can't speak for everyone, I know when I facilitate, it's, you know, you're lying down on a mat, you have a blindfold to create a more inward experience. Like music is playing, but it's really just you sitting with you. It's not like, you know, what you're describing or what I'm hearing from your description of your experience at university is like, it sounded like you were outside and you could see some trees and, you know, maybe the trees talked to you or they melted and that could totally. be Totally. I was cool playing with fun. the grass. Yeah, totally. But when people go on a retreat, like you're in it with you. It's your internal landscape. Yeah. It's not talking to the deer. So it's also <laughs> a different setting where I don't think like if you really want to have fun, that's not really it. Yeah, that's not it. Well, mm-hmm. Julie, this is probably a good time for people yeah. who are listening and they're really interested in learning more about your program and your coaching and mentorship. Uh, do you have a website or social media details that you can leave for people? Yeah, definitely come find me. Um, um, on Instagram, Julie Savone. My middle name is C-Y-V-O-N-N-E. Um, so that's where I am everywhere. It's juliesavone.com, Julie Savone on Instagram. 
Um, and if you want to learn more about my program, you can go to juliasavone.com slash U-Y-M. My program is called Uncover Your Magic. So that's the landing page where you can learn more about the program. But I'm always down to answer questions. Send me an email at julia, juliasavone.com or send me a DM. I would love to chat with you. Um, I really am passionate about this. I'm passionate about how it works, why it works, what it can do for you. But I love to have conversations. So definitely reach out. And I just appreciate this conversation. It's been really interesting. I liked where it went. I didn't anticipate this, but I really enjoyed it. I'm I'm actually curious since you said that. Uh, well, <laughs> how did you how did you even come to find us? Like, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't know where we were going to go today. And as I said, we have already had conversations um, surrounding this topic. So I'm I'm always fascinated to see how different they can be each time. But yeah, how did you come to find us? Like you're not in the the massage therapy world at all. Well, she was in Toronto and she was on Leslie Street. So. <laughs> I was on Leslie Street going to see Leslie, my boyfriend's mom. Um, so no, I'm in a group about like learning the uh, tech of your business. And so I formed this one group with Christine Parker um, and Steph Taylor and we're kind of like in a mini mastermind. And then I have like all these other friends who are really into the like taking back control of your life. So I've been on other Canadian podcasts kind of in this, not massage therapy in particular, but like in this realm, like with the spirit. And so people are always like, oh, I think this would be a good conversation with you for you to have with these people. And it would be interesting. So that's where I found you guys. But Christine Parker and Steph Taylor in particular directed me to you. Thanks, friends. I love it. And yeah, doing the podcast is super cool because we we meet all of these connections and people that we otherwise probably would have never crossed paths with. So it's been really fun. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. And I mean, the amount we've have, we've been talking for a couple of months, the amount of times that <laughs> our schedules didn't line up. I think today was the day we were meant to talk. So it was a it was a great day. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you. You guys have been listening to two massage therapists and a microphone. Peace.